Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Well, if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and we'll be in chapter 5 tonight. Lord willing, we will finish the book of 1 Peter before the end of the year. Tonight, uh, of course, let me, let me just think up with us about the book of 1 Peter. Um, and because of the way I've approached 1 Peter, it seems like every week I give a review. Yet, I, I think that's important because it reminds us that what we see here in the text is not just isolated, but it's a part of a bigger argument. And, and, and so I want us to, to kind of understand how the text that we're going to read tonight relates to the rest of the book. Uh, tonight, it seems that Peter shifts a gear, and, and as we read these te- this text, it seems to be talking about how pastors should pastor. Now, the rest of the book seems to be about suffering and how Christians respond to suffering and how we live as aliens and strangers in this world, right? Um, That seems to be what the rest of the book is about. So how does that relate to what we're looking at tonight? Um, I think this explanation seems to be uh, reasonable. The idea may be that Peter then turned to address pastors because it may be that in the context of persecution in the early church, that it may have been the pastors that were the first to experience the persecution. That, that uh, uh, because of their outspokenness for the gospel, because of their outspokenness uh, 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 of preaching the gospel and obeying God rather than man, that maybe. It may not be this way in every case, but it may be that the pastors would have been the first to have people persecute them. And so while he's been talking to everyone generally, to believers about how to live in the midst of trials and persecution, he turns to pastors and tells them how they are to pastor in the midst of a hostile environment in the midst of persecution, and and as we live as strangers and aliens. Let's look at our text. Um, It's the first five verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with, the, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. As you have spoken to us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that long to obey your word. Father, give me grace and strength. Father, I'm about to speak about being a pastor. And Lord, I fall short. And Father, I pray that you would cover me by your grace and help me, Lord, to lift up your word and that all focus would be on what you say and not on on a preacher. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter here talking about how we live in the midst of a hostile environment and maybe how, how a pastor pastors in the midst of a hostile environment. Let's take a look here at first, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. So who's talking here? It's Peter. Peter is talking. He says, I exhort you. So he's, he's, uh, he's, he's saying, I'm the one who's saying this. But he, he, he references himself as one of these fellow pastors. He says he's a fellow elder. Um, and this is the term here that he's using for pastors. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, he's a fellow elder. He's identifying himself with them. And as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So on the one hand, he identifies with these pastors and he doesn't say as an apostle, which uh, you know, he, he doesn't lift himself up with, with his, uh, claiming his authority. You know, I'm Peter. Uh, don't you know I'm the one who Jesus said he'd build his church on, right? Yeah. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm a fellow pastor with you a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And we can think of Peter's life. Maybe he wasn't there for all of it, but he was there for enough. You know, he, 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 whenever Jesus was being scourged, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, uh, in the story of the, the crucifixion, you have Jesus looking over at Peter just after he, Peter had denied him. And he saw Peter. Okay. Um, some have tried to make something of this to try to say, well, Peter couldn't have written that because he ran, right? He ran after after he had denied Jesus. But we don't know the story. The, we, the gospel writers don't tell us everything. He may have come back, but Peter here claims he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and not only just in the crucifixion itself, but Jesus suffered much affliction and much persecution in the midst of his ministry. So Peter here, he does, on the one hand, he claims he's just another pastor along with these other pastors. And yet he at the same time says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I was there. He's an eyewitness. And if you want to know 
How can I trust that this is true? How can I trust that the Bible is true? How can I trust that Jesus really rose from the dead? Well, Peter here claims he was an eyewitness. Um, I believe that we have eyewitness testimony. Peter went on to be martyred, okay? And he, was, he clung to the fact that he, he was a witness of, of Christ's death and the resurrected Jesus. And he went to his death without giving up that claim. He, maybe he could, have, he could have avoided being martyred if he had given that up. But yet he held to that in the midst of it under pressure because he was an eyewitness. He really saw it. He really saw Jesus. So that's, just, that's all just... Who, who this is that's talking. He, he says he's a fellow elder. He's a, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he's also here a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. That's the third thing he says about himself. Okay? The book as a whole has been talking about a future hope that we have, right? Uh, we've been born again to a an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for us, right? Yes, Josh, yes. Um, uh, It's very future-oriented. We have a hope that is set for us in the future. And and Peter here, he's not putting himself above, but he's, he's identifying with the people he's writing to, and he's saying he's a fellow, uh, he's a sharer, He's a partaker in that glory that's to be revealed. Some have suggested, well, that, that this glory he's talking about may have been the transfiguration, whenever Jesus, his face shone and, and Peter was there. But no, this seems in the context, seems to be more future oriented. He's a partaker along with the other believers in that glory that's to be revealed at the coming of Christ when he returns. So all that is about who's talking. Peter, and he, he identifies these things about himself. But let's say, let's go back to the very first thing here in the verse. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, who are these elders? By the word elders, we might think he's talking about older people. Okay? But in the New Testament, the term elder functions as a title. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the term that is very often used to refer to pastors. Um, and I, I have a list here of some, some texts that we can point to. Um, in Acts chapter 20, um, in Acts chapter 20, um, Paul is uh, he's saying farewell to the pastors at Ephesus that, that were there. And he, sa- he tells them, he, tells, he, he gives this message to the elders there. And the term that's used in Acts chapter 20 is elders. In verse 28, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. It sounds like he's talking about pastors, right? He, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Okay, these people who have already been called elders are now being called overseers, which uh, is another term that the Bible uses for pastors to care for the church of God. 
which he obtained with his own blood. So in Acts chapter 20, um, you have Paul addressing these the term is elders, and he calls them also overseers, and he tells them to, sh- to care for the flock which Christ purchased with his blood. So I, I believe here this, this term, elders, is talking about pastors. Um, next, we've got 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is where Paul gives the qualifications for pastors. And in verse 1, it says, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The same term that was used in Acts chapter 20 is used here by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 when he says the office of overseer. Okay? Um, In the same book, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Let the elders... Who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So here, Paul uses the term elder to talk about an office in the church, basically interchangeably with the term that he used before, elders, uh, overseers. So he's got overseers and elders, and and he says they... they, let those who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Well, who does the preaching and teaching? The, pa- the pastors. Right. Thanks, Josh. Okay. Then we move to Titus. Okay. In Timothy, in 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, he, he had told us, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And then he goes on to say that an elder must be, or I'm sorry, a pa- an overseer must be above reproach. In Titus chapter 1 verse 5 it tells us this is why I left you you know Paul left uh, Titus in Crete to to be uh, to to appoint elders he says uh, this is why I left you in Crete so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you and, and he, he he also says that they must be uh, verse 7 this is just two verses later for an overseer uses the same word Elder in verse 5, overseer in verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, which is the same word, that same term that he used in 1 Timothy. So the, the term elder and overseer seem to be interchangeable in the New Testament. Think back here again to verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, where it says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. So you have this shepherding idea to all the flock and to care for the church of God. Um, uh, And this is is speaking more of the pastoral, uh, the shepherding nature of being a pastor. In verse 14, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 14 of James, we we see this same term again. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, I believe the evidence is fairly clear in the New Testament that the terms elder and overseer are interchangeable and they're used for the office of pastor, what we call today pastor. In Presbyterian circles, that's pretty clear because they actually use the term elder to refer to their Pastors, we think uh, when when we hear the term elder, we often think of something like a like a deacon, but that's that's not what an elder is. 
An elder is basically the same thing as the New Testament idea of a pastor. So, now, we turn to our text here in 1 Peter. All of that was kind of just giving an idea of why I can say, when it says elder here, it's not just talking about older people. It's talking about the New Testament office of a pastor. So, I exhort the elders among you, the pastors among you, to, I'm going to skip those words, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That word shepherd is the same term from which we get the idea of pastor. Pastor, it's a pastoral uh, word. It, it has the idea of shepherding and leading and caring. Okay, So what these elders are being commanded to do is to shepherd, to, to, to act like, like a shepherd. You know? The Old Testament often uh, portrays uh, kings as those who should have been shepherding God's people, and yet they failed. Um, they didn't feed the, the people. They didn't bind up the brokenhearted. They didn't do all of these things. And when Jesus came, he was the good shepherd. Okay, um, This is kind of the Old Testament background here. But here, pastors... Elders, overseers, their command is to care for the church. So let's relate this to the whole book. Church, we're living in a hostile world. We're living in, in an era, the pre, this present evil age in which uh, the world around us doesn't understand us. We're foreign to the rest of the world. So what is the duty of a pastor in the midst of that? Shepherd the people care for them. That's the duty of a pastor. Um, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. A couple of things here. It says the flock of God. It's not the pastor's church. And many times we might see uh, maybe a pastor talk about my church. Well, sometimes that's just informal. It's just, it's just informal, just talking. But we don't want to actually get the idea that this is somehow my church, because it's not. It belongs to God. It's what he, he purchased with His own blood. That's what Acts chapter 20 tells us. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Okay? One of the things that a pastor must do is to be among his people. Uh, a pastor ought not to be stuck in his study all week long and only come out among his people on Sundays whenever he comes to preach the Word. Johnny Hunt, uh, if you know who that is, he's a famous Southern Baptist pastor. Um, he says, and, and this is picked up and, and, and many have talked about it, uh, you may have heard it from somebody else, but shepherds smell like sheep. Right? Shepherds smell like sheep. If you want to be a good pastor, if I want to be a good pastor, I need to spend enough time around my people that I smell like sheep. Figuratively speaking. Let me back up just a minute. You may be sitting there thinking, okay, that's all nice. That's what a pastor is supposed to do, but what does that have to do with me? I'm not a pastor. <laughs> right? 
Uh, for, for whatever reason, you might, you, might, you might be thinking that. Well, there's a couple of reasons why this is important for everyone here, uh, regardless of what your station is. First of all, you may not be a pastor, but you have one. And in Baptist polity, which this is a Baptist church, who calls pastors? It's the congregation, right? The congregation. We don't have a bishop who sends uh, a pastor to a, a church, um, uh, that w- and the church has really no real say about it. No, each congregation selects their pastor, um, and I think that's a biblical concept. In that light. Um, It's important for you to hear a message like this because at some point, whether it's here or someplace else, you may be involved in a search committee or some other means of trying to call a pastor. Or, well, even if you're not a part of a search committee, you may be voting on calling a new pastor. And so you want to know what are the kinds of things that you look for You don't look for a guy with an MBA, although that can be useful. You don't look for a guy that's charismatic. You look for a guy who cares for the flock of God. And there's other qualifications that we'll find in 1 Timothy and in Titus, but we don't have time for that tonight because I'm already 21 minutes in and we haven't covered but the first two verses. (laughs) So... Yeah. So, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Then he says, exercising oversight. This word, exercising oversight, is the verbal form. Uh, this, this is some grammar here. But it's the verbal form of the same word that is used in the other places as overseer. So, the noun form is overseer in English. It's episkopos. You, you know, we, we, we hear of uh, uh, the Episcopal Church. Um, the Greek word is episkopos. The noun form is usually translated something like overseer or bishop. And uh, so I think that in, in Baptist polity, and, and, and I think what the Bible teaches, like I said, uh, pastor and elder, elder and overseer, they're all interchangeable terms for the same office. Uh, we don't have a hierarchy where we have, you know, pastors on one level and then bishops at another level. That's, that's not the way Baptists understand the scripture. And I, I think I probably demonstrated that pretty well tonight. But exercising oversight is another duty of the pastor, of the elder. Uh, and, and it is, uh, it, it is um, making sure that what goes on in the church is godly. Because you know what? Sheep, sometimes, it, it's God's flock. It's not our flock. It's God's flock. But sometimes, sheep get into trouble, don't they? And they need someone to go rescue them. And uh, um, part of exercising oversight is being aware of what's going on in the congregation and going after the wandering sheep. And it's also, you know, one of the things that uh, Paul says is the church, the pastor needs to know how to to uh, manage God's household. Okay, 
Um, there, are, there are administrative duties that a pastor has to do. And that, I think, is involved in this exercising oversight. And it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. So, in the midst of a hostile world, where we're living in, as strangers and aliens, a pastor does his job, he shepherds the flock of God, he, he uh, um, exercises oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, in this context of persecution and hostility, a pastor might get the idea like, I've just got to keep doing this. <laughs> and sometimes I, I, they, they might feel worn out and feel like, you know, I, yeah, I just don't have it in me anymore. I'm not saying that about me. I'm just saying that's a, that's a possibility here. Um, what Peter here is saying is don't do it under compulsion. Don't do it because you feel like you have to. Do it willingly from the heart. Do it with joy. Pastor your people with joy. Not feeling like, oh, I've got to do this. Don't dread coming to church and seeing your people. Don't dread coming and visiting their home. But do it willingly with joy. And then he says, uh, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He contrasts these two things. When we think of shameful gain, we might think of the TV preachers. Those who say, I need a $2 million airplane, right? <laughs> Those who have gold thrones they sit on on their TV shows. Okay. Those who do it for shameful gain. But I don't want to just point out there. It's easy for a pastor to say, oh yeah, well that's an obvious example of doing it for shameful gain. But oh, I don't have to worry about that. right? I, I'm not like that. Well, as I prayed, I said, you, may, you heard me as I prayed, I said, I fall short. Because every single one of us has mixed motives, don't we? Every single one of us. Because we're still tainted by sin. In spite of the fact that we've been born again and we've been changed and we've been brought from death, from death into life and from darkness into light, we still have mixed motives in our heart. And so sometimes we might feel like, well, I can't, I can't leave that because I need the income. Right? May that never be the thing that keeps me here. May that ne- I, just because I'm not some TV preacher wanting an airplane doesn't mean that I can't be guilty here. But eagerly. Do it as if I would do it if I wasn't paid a penny. And I have to ask myself, would I? Would I? Thankfully, I'm not in that situation. I hope that I would be able to do it even if I couldn't be paid a penny. But like I said, we all have mixed motives. And as a pastor, you know, maybe one of the things that a pastor should do as he looks at this text is say, Lord, I have mixed motives in my heart. Confess that and, and say to the Lord, 
help me to put off any kind of desire for shameful gain within me so that I might just serve your flock eagerly without a desire for that. So, then he says, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Um, Some desire the office for pastor so that they can have a power trip. So that they can have people who will build up their ego and so that they can build their own little kingdom. That is not what the pastor is supposed to do. He is not to domineer his people, but instead he is to be an example for the flock. Um, He contrasts those things. What are we to be an example like? A pastor. An example of being like Jesus. Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A pastor looks to Jesus as that example. We try to imitate what we see in Jesus so that the congregation sees that and they do the same. Not domineering, not trying to do the work of the ministry so that we can get fame and glory or big following on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Not so that people will know our names in the community, but so that we can be an example that points people to Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. And he follows that up by saying, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Our... Motivation, my motivation should be, and a pastor's motivation should be, to pastor with the goal in mind that Jesus will be pleased with my work. That I, sometimes we get the idea that we, we don't want to serve for the reward, right? Oh, I'm just doing this because of the goodness of my own heart, it makes us actually feel proud. (laughs) He gives us a biblical motivation that is serving for the reward. I want the reward! (laughs) Right? But our reward is not shameful gain. Our reward is not so that we can have our own little mini-kingdom. Our reward... is that whenever we see Jesus face to face, that chief shepherd, he will give us the crown of life. When the chief shepherd appears, he will give you the unfading crown of glory. The word glory there reminds us of a theme that's been throughout the rest of the book. Jesus' path was a path where suffering leads to glory. Right? The path of every believer is a path where suffering in this life leads to future glory. Peter here says that he is a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. And 
as a pastor. The goal that should motivate me, that the Bible tells me should motivate me to pastor, is that I might receive from Jesus one day the crown of glory. That suffering in this life, that tears shed in this life, that that persecution in this life will lead to the glory of Jesus saying, my well done, good and faithful servant, which we can all hear. Likewise, it changes the course here. You who are younger. Uh Uh-oh. Does this throw a wrench in what I've been saying? Because I've been saying this is about pastors. This, This does bring in a little bit of a difficulty. Okay, You who are younger. Is this talking about new Christians? Is this talking about just contrasting it and saying the rest of the congregation, you know, we got the elders over here and we've got the rest of the congregation. He's calling them younger because it fits, you know, uh, to contrast two things. Maybe. Um, maybe I think he's addressing a specific portion of the congregation. He's talked to elders here to begin with, and I think maybe he's just addressing younger people in the congregation. Maybe. I think that's probably where I'm going to land. And there's a few options available, but I I think that's where I'm going to land. I think he's talking about younger people in the congregation. And he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Why would he say that? Well, oftentimes it is younger people who have to learn humility. Humility. It's younger people who oftentimes want to say, oh, you know, you don't want to hear we've never done it that way before. <laughs> you know, well, let's just go off and do something that nobody's ever seen before. And, 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 and we get enthusiastic and we, we, we can go all kinds of, and we don't have the wisdom of age. And here Peter exhorts younger members of the congregation to be subject to the elders, I think, uh, so that they don't, so that they stay tethered to the the faithful truth of the Bible, and don't just go running off chasing all kinds of other fads. And then he says, not just younger people, but then he addresses everybody. Likewise, you are younger; be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. Now he's talking about everybody. Yes, Josh. Clothe yourselves, all of you. That's everybody. That's the pastor. That's the whole congregation. That's the younger people. That's everybody. We're all included here. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. It can be our sinful tendency to think, well, I'm better than that guy. Can't it? Or to think about, how someone's dressed or certain habits we see in other people or all these kinds of things. But humility keeps us from that. If we remember, I'm a sinner saved by grace, we can look at other people with humility and it... it hey, we've got to remember, we're living in this hostile world. 
The, the world is against us. We need to have humility among one another so that we can stick together and love one another through the midst of it because all we got is each other. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives us a reason. He quotes loosely from Proverbs 3. God opposes the proud. The, the, the passage that Jane read from said, uh, the scorner he scorns. He opposes the proud. See, this, the ideas are similar there. He, he opposes the proud, but the humble, he gives favor, he gives grace to the humble. And how is it that we are saved? How is it that we come to be born again? It comes through the process of humility. We've got to become like little children, Jesus said. We have to not try to build ourselves up and be good and say, God, look at me. I'm so great. You should accept me. No, that's not the way we come to God. We come to him with empty hands saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We come to God saying, I've blown it. I've made a mess of my life. But I know that Jesus paid for my sins. And I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sins and count Jesus' righteousness to me. Because I don't have any of my own. That's humility. God opposes the proud. The proud man who says, look at all my righteousness. I'm a great person, ain't I? God opposes that. And he gives grace to the humble. And isn't that what he did? When God was made low. Bringing Christmas in. When God, who is the most magnificent, most glorious being in all of the universe, who can snap his fingers and the stars all go into place. Who spoke and light came into existence. Took on the frame of a tiny baby. And he was humiliated. Grew up among human beings. Was beaten. And mocked. And crucified. He was humiliated for our sake. That's how we're saved. By looking to Him, what He did for us, and by saying, There's no good in me, but only Jesus. listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.